Today's podcast is brought to you by Howie's new book, Paperboy. To order today, go to HowieCarshow.com and click on store. Live from the Aviva Trattoria studio, it's the Grace Curley Show. we got to bring in a new voice, a young voice, a rising voice, Grace Curley. You can read Grace's work in the Boston Herald and the Spectator. Especially, Grace, Grace, stand up. Here's the millennial with the mic, Grace Curley. Harvard University making it history by naming its first black president. Well, for the first time in history, a black woman will lead Harvard University. Some more good news here. A Stanford alum and former professor has been named Harvard University's first black president. Their very first president of color. She will be the first person of color. First president of color. Claudine Gay will be the first president of color and second female president in the school's history. She's also only the second woman to hold that position. She will be the second woman and the first black person to lead the university she was now that was from the washington free beacon a nice little supercut of the media gushing over claudine gay when she was first hired by harvard to serve as their president and needless to say things have not panned out the way i think the harvard governance board imagined and the media imagined it would joining us now is someone who can comment on this he is a white man but he is also a Harvard grad. And Aaron, please correct me if I'm wrong. I, I don't think it's just once. I think you graduated from Harvard multiple times. You know, if there's only one thing you're good at, Grace, you've got to do it over and over. I guess that's true. Give us your reaction, Aaron. You've been following this story like all of us from the beginning. Um, are you surprised by this? Did you think that Claudine Gay was going to survive the not just the disastrous congressional hearing with your friend, another Harvard grad, Representative Elise Stefanik, but also the plagiarism charges? What do you make of this whole thing? So it's interesting. First of all, I just have to say, I was listening to that montage. And do you think all of those voices that you were hearing celebrating her for being the first black president, the first female president, second female president, it sounded to me like those are the exact same voices that were making fun of Nikki Haley's response to the start of the Civil War. Like, no one's celebrating Nikki Haley because she's not the right kind of woman that wants to be president. I think that's, like, a big upsetting thing to everyone in this situation. Quite honestly, I think it's embarrassing that Harvard hadn't had a black president until now, that hadn't had more than one female president until now. Like, so great. Like, we'd like every qualified person to be considered. I think what's really upsetting, Grace, if you look at how this played out, right, after October 7th, Harvard was silent. They were silent. When they've spoken out about every issue that's ever happened in the history of the world, they were silent on October 7th to the point that when those student organizations signed that editorial, basically blaming it on Israel, that was seen as the viewpoint of Harvard. And that's when Bill Ackman, when all these other donors, they got all worked up because that was allowed to be the, it was, it was started to be pro-Palestinian, but it's really anti-Israel. And that was allowed to stand. And, and the statement after statement from the President Gay then showed a lack of judgment. The support of the corporation showed a lack of judgment. And that's really what's brought us to this point, is that Claudine Gay lacked the judgment, and the people that selected her lacked the judgment to lead this institution. And so, I mean, there, there's a rule of thumb in, in crisis communications, which is, if you weather the storm, well, she kind of made it through it, right? Like, she gave a terrible testimony after really blowing it on supporting Israel and standing up for their right to exist and and defending the idea that a call for genocide could ever be acceptable. I can't imagine. So she survives that. 
but you have one chance to apologize, one chance to come clean. And apparently there are a lot of skeletons in her closet. So I'm not surprised that the, the chickens came home to roost. I'm just, it's just sad and disappointing, Grace. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned DEI, you mentioned this decision that they finally made at Harvard. But I I also wanted to add in here that billionaire Bill Ackman, and he's been very outspoken about how he feels on this issue and how he feels that Claudine Gay was a DEI hire and that she is not qualified and that she should have been fired immediately uh, after her congressional hearing. He's now calling for an overhaul of the governing board. And I want your take on this, Aaron, because I remember when they were standing by her, you had actually said to me, and hopefully you weren't saying this off the record, but you had said to me in one of our conversations that they were worried because it was their call. Like, they found her. They picked her. And the more, the further out we get from this, I'm thinking, well, yeah, if you're going to fire her, then, and I know that technically speaking, she wasn't fired, but if you're going to get rid of Claudine Gay, it almost doesn't make sense to keep the governing board because they chose her, which arguably is worse. I mean, I don't blame her for accepting a great position with great pay and, you know, great publicity. But you you do have to look at the people choosing these candidates and, and kind of question their sanity. No, you're 100 percent right. And I'm not surprised that Bill Ackman is the one bringing it up. Because if you look at his background, he's actually an activist investor that makes a lot of bets based on the governance of publicly traded companies. But in publicly traded companies, he has shareholders he can appeal to and show them facts and show them data. In this case, you have the secretive Harvard Corporation, which they appoint their own successors. So they're really a self-perpetuating group, very, very much a black box. They were in charge of this election process. Now, I was at Harvard uh, as an undergraduate back in, I graduated 2006, and that was the same year that Larry Summers was forced to resign. And so I've gone through this before, and I've watched Harvard do it before. And same thing happened with Larry, by the way. He made it through the, the initial um, scrutiny, and there was a crisis, and about a year later they came from again. And, and, and in that process, we watched what happened in the presidential search process. There were a number of candidates. They had qualifications. It was very important for them at that time because Larry Summers had made some comments that were construed as anti-women, talking about their innate capabilities. They wanted to have a female president to show. So it, Drew Faust was always a front runner to succeed Larry Summers. But they at least interviewed other people. They set up a process. It was transparent. There were visits to campus. In the hiring of Claudine Gay, it was the shortest ever presidential search in the history of Harvard. And now it's led to the shortest tenure in Harvard. But that's exactly right, Grace. The reason they couldn't fire her is because they would have to admit they were wrong. And they were wrong. I don't entirely blame Claudine Gay for not being prepared for that job. I blame the people that hired her for hiring someone that wasn't capable, someone that needed to have the judgment the ability to communicate, the ability, I mean, that disastrous congressional testimony, you'd think that when you're hiring for a CEO-level position for one of the world's most prominent institutions, one of the world's wealthiest institutions, you would be, all of these criteria would be so important to you. But instead, you can see that this, this DEI culture, these other priorities have become way more important, that the social justice agenda is what's really driving rather than looking out for how you're going to pick someone that's actually going to be set up to succeed in the job. Yeah, Aaron, and and I wanted to, you know, we mentioned that this all started with the disastrous congressional hearing in which Representative Lee Stefanik was asking these these presidents of these universities, MIT, UPenn, and Harvard, um, if calling for the genocide of Jews violated their harassment policies or, you know, their guidelines at the schools. And I wanted you, Aaron, if you if you would give everyone 
a little bit of background into why the way this is all played out and how exposed Harvard has become now to their hypocrisy and their, the anti-Semitism there, how you think Elise Stefanik is taking this? Because she actually had a, an axe to grind uh, from the very beginning, and I have a feeling she might be sitting around feeling pretty good about the, the way this played out. Can you just give everyone a little context? Well, by the way, wasn't that the easiest question in the world to get right? Like, the fact that she couldn't call genocide, like, she couldn't condemn genocide, like, it's incredible to me. But so, Elise Stefanik, and, and you know this, Grace, she's a, a very, very dear friend of mine. Um, we met as seniors when we got admitted to Harvard. So we met the before we even started, and we, we graduated the same year. Um, good friend, I've been very, very cheering on her career this whole time. So what's really interesting is that Elise, when she was in college, was the vice president of Harvard's Institute of Politics undergraduate group. It was endowed by the Kennedy family to expose young people to political life, public sector. That's how I got to know Pete Buttigieg and Vivek and Elise. Very good friends, all of them. Elise, who was always considered a mainstream Republican when she worked in the Bush White House, when she worked on the Romney campaign and was close with Paul Ryan. And it wasn't until she started defending Donald Trump during the impeachment proceedings that all of a sudden the mainstream media and the mainstream Republican Party, all of it, like the, the people that you know just follow the orders that come down from on high, those people started to turn on her. And she's been branded now a MAGA extremist and all this other stuff. So Elise, it's important to remember that after January 6th, or on January 6th, when they were having the votes to certify the electors, Elise objected to the certification of a few of them, and I think voted against it, much in the same way that uh, Jamie Raskin had done previously. Because she did that, Harvard's Institute of Politics, where she was as an undergraduate, um, she served as in leadership, she was one of the, the few Republicans who were allowed, deemed socially acceptable enough, to be on their senior advisory committee. They stripped her of that. They kicked her off. The dean of the Harvard Kennedy School sent her a letter saying that she was too extreme, her actions and her views were too extreme. Again, this is the university that's telling us they couldn't condemn people calling for genocide because they support free speech. They kicked Elise Stefanik off their board, their advisory board. It was a ceremonial board because of her views on the way that the election was conducted and whether you'd even ask questions into that. And so for them to kick her off, and then when she asks them questions about real free speech and protecting the, the people that need support in the wake of this unprecedented anti-Semitism and this toxic culture on climate, I mean, it's, it's I think, poetic justice in a way, but, I mean, I've communicated with Elise briefly during this time, and, and honestly, I think she, like I am, are just sad. We're sad because you see a great institution and you see this moral decay. And you see people, you know, in this case, Claudine Gay, I, I, I feel bad for her. She's out of a job, whatever else, but she was, she didn't deserve to be there. And they were lying about the situation. And, and to see them not even be able to confront the truth, it's just, it's a sad day for Harvard. It's a sad day for like what it says about our society. Aaron, I have one more question for you, and you just made so many great points, but this got me thinking, you have multiple degrees from Harvard. You've, you've done a lot of You've been to school. I have three. You have three. Let's put it to rest. There are three degrees, college, law school, business school. There we go. Yeah, but uh, I don't think that's anything to, you know, downplay, Aaron. That's pretty good. That means you were in there. The, in the old days, it wasn't. In the old days, you could be proud of it. But, right, like, you, what your actions reflect on <laughs> the institution, and now the institution reflects on you. It's it's tough. It's like you're really, you're not, you know, it's like when you tell people, I'm sure, Grace, you, you know friends who've had to, like, tell their friends they voted for Trump. And it changes the way that people look at you. Now, telling them you went to Harvard, it's like you're walking around with a scarlet letter. It's it's horrible. Yes. And with that being said, I, I don't disagree with anything you just said there. But with that being said, you were in school for a long time. You had to do a lot of studying. You had to do a lot of, you know, I'm sure a lot of essays and, and prep work. 
Tell us a little bit about plagiarism, because I'm hearing now that it's my fault that Claudine Gay plagiarized, that it's some sort of weapon that the right wing is using against her. Was plagiarism, did you ever in your time there get a lecture on it? Was it something talked about? Was it something warned about um, from professors there? How big of a deal is it? Because I keep wondering, Aaron, about these students who were kicked out or suspended for plagiarism. Now they're finding out that not only is Claudine Gay, you know, she's not taking any accountability for her for the charges against her but she's also going to remain i think being paid tell us about plagiarism and how it used to be seen at least at harvard it's funny that headline that republicans have a new weapon plagiarism i mean i think that's partially just a way to avoid writing about the actual story though right there was someone else sent me one of my friends um from college sent me an article that was saying that it was all about elise stefanik and how she went to take credit and to celebrate the firing. And that's what the article was about. It's not about the fact that she actually resigned. It's about, it's about Republicans. So I think it's a distraction. Uh, I mean, it's what I said during this whole thing. I think, first of all, I think the plagiarism is a second storyline. Claudine Gay deserved to be fired for the way that she responded to October 7th and the way that she testified before Congress. Full stop. She also deserved to be fired for the plagiarism stuff. And I, I said to a friend of mine that's on the executive committee of the Harvard Alumni Association, I said, please help me understand that when I was a freshman in Advisor. The four years I was in grad school, I lived for free at Harvard Yard, and I was an advisor to Harvard freshmen. And if they did what Claudine Gay did, there was a there was a it was called the Administrative Board now. I think it's called the Honor Council now. Um, they would go before that board and they'd have to defend themselves. And at a minimum, anyone who did what Claudine Gay did, in even one of the examples, if they had done it once they would have been required to withdraw for at least a semester. They would not be in good standing. They'd be put on probation. Oh, wow. Severe consequences. Just once and you'd be required to withdraw for a semester? And the fact, here's the question I have for you, Grace. Now that she says she's going to be returning to the faculty, will she be subject to the actual standard process and have to go through a review process? Because I don't think she can withstand it. I'm going to make a prediction here, and I don't have a crystal ball, Aaron, but I'm going to predict that, no, she will not. Uh, Aaron Chadbourne, we thank you so much. Dear friend of mine. See, his friends are Vivek and Elise Stefanik and, you know, all these big shots from Harvard. My friend is also a big shot from Harvard, Aaron Chadbourne. I thank you so much, sir, for coming on the show. We'll have you on again soon, Aaron, um, and hopefully you'll be filling in again soon uh, for, for me uh, on the mic. So, Aaron Chadbourne, thank you. We'll be right back. we got two-way Tuesday on a Wednesday. Don't go anywhere. The Grace Curley Show will be right back. This is The Grace Curley Show. Today's poll question is brought to you by the NASA Beach Inn. Right now, you can stay at the NASA Beach Inn for under $200 this winter. To reserve your pet-friendly ocean view room, go to nasabeachin.com. That's nasabeachin.com. Jared, what is the poll question and what are the results thus far? Today's poll question, which you can vote in at gracecurlyshow.com, is will MIT President Sally Kornbluth resign? I'm going to say yes. I, I think that history at this point is not a guide that Sally Kornbluth would be too happy to read. I think she's going to have to hit the road, Jack. 38% say yes, 62% 
believed, no, she will not. But I bet all those people didn't think Claudine Gay was going to resign. So things change quickly. Uh, Toby Leary joins us now from Cape Gunworks. It's time for 2A Tuesday on a Wednesday. And Toby, I wanted to start off with a story out of California. So this is from Fox News. It says California law barring guns from most public spaces set to go into effect after appeals court ruling. Obviously, there's so many different bills out there and there's so much to worry about, Toby, in Massachusetts. But a lot of times what happens in California makes it its way to Massachusetts. So can you explain to us what's going on in the Golden State? Yeah, thank you, Grace. It's great. Uh, Happy New Year. Great talking to you today. And um, yeah, so there was a bill that passed. um, Gavin Newsom gleefully signed into existence, banning the carrying of firearms in just about, you know, a lot of different public places, including like playgrounds and and whatnot. So um, he, he... again, gleefully signed this bill into law, and it is set to take place, uh, to take effect, I think yesterday is when it went into effect. And the there was a lower court, a district court judge that ruled this is an unconstitutional law and put a stay on it and uh, or a preliminary injunction on it. Now, uh, Bonta, Rob Bonta, his attorney general, sought an emergency appeal of the stay uh, this past weekend. And Saturday, uh, they went into session uh, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals and basically uh, eliminated that stay, if you will, and, and basically said that the law will go into effect. So, yes, they have now made it one of the danger, most dangerous, as if it wasn't already, one of the most dangerous places to live in the country. And uh, you can't even carry a gun to protect yourself in a lot of public places now in California. And you're 100% right. This is exactly what Massachusetts wants to do as well. They want to put uh, carry restrictions on public places such as playgrounds where you have a duty as a parent to protect your child. And they're trying to say that a playground should be a gun-free zone. When some psycho who we already know, uh, these psychos don't follow the signs of gun-free zones, could potentially go there to wreak havoc on unsuspecting people. And they want you disarmed and defenseless to be able to protect yourself and your family, which is just absolutely crazy. This is so unconstitutional, Grace. There's no chance this will stand the test of time or constitutional scrutiny, but the problem is you have tyrants in control and they are abusing their power because there is constitutional limitations. And I apologize for being asleep at the wheel last week when you asked me about Massachusetts. I, I updated everybody on the H4139, but I forgot about uh, the, the one bill that's pending. And we can talk about that, too. We'll talk about that when we come back and you can get on the lines for Toby on the other side. Live from the Aviva Trattoria studio. 
Welcome back, everyone, to the Grace Curley Show. Um, we're going to let Toby Leary finish up his thoughts on how, you know, when something goes wrong in California, it usually it's not far away from us here in Massachusetts, where a lot of my listeners are from. And Toby, I do want to get back to that. But if you don't mind, before we do, let's go to the callers here, because I do this thing where I'm very selfish. I ask Toby all of my questions, and then the listeners don't get their gun questions answered. So I want to go to Harry. Harry, you're first up with Toby. Go ahead, Harry. Yeah, Toby, I just wanted to, uh, this is a, just a comment, but I wanted to ask a, a question afterwards. I shipped a firearm out to be repaired. They they were in Massachusetts. They, I sent that up from, you know, my house, basically, via, you know, FedEx or UPS, and they shipped it back to my house. Now, I sent mm-hmm. another rifle out to another company in Illinois, and they said, you have to go through an FFL to send it and and receive it. I want to know what the law is in Massachusetts. Yeah, great question, Harry. The the answer is there's not a law that would prevent them from accepting the firearm from you, and there's not a law in Massachusetts that would prevent them from shipping it back to you. Um, that being said, it's an individual company policy thing that they can say, hey, we don't want to accept anything from a non-NFL, FFL, and we certainly aren't going to ship back to an individual if it came from an FFL. So as long as it came from an individual, it can go back to an individual if it is a gunsmithing issue. If it's like you sent them a gun for consignment or to sell to somebody or transfer to somebody, then no, the gun could not be returned to you. And it would have to go through an FFL. So hopefully that makes sense. Um, it's one of those things. Uh, I was just reading an article today, actually, of 100 years ago. There was an article in, uh, there was an ad in Popular Science Magazine. And a lot of people say how easy it is to obtain firearms today. And you just pointed out one example of how hard it is to actually just ship your own gun to a gunsmith and get it back. But um, in Popular Science Magazine, they had an ad for $7.95, and you pay no money till you receive it. You could order from California, of all places, a pistol through the mail, and it would come right to your door, and you don't pay until you receive it. You give the check to the postman, and he moves on, and you have your brand-new pistol that was mailed to you uh, right to your door. No background check, no FFL, no uh, 4473, no uh fingerprinting and photographing and waiting. Uh, so times have shown that it's harder now to obtain a firearm than ever in the history of our country. And uh, so, yeah, that's that's a farce to say it's easier to buy a gun than to, you know, rent a library book or buy an apple, whatever the heck they say in media these days. But um, <laughs> so, you know, it's an individual policy thing, Harry. Yeah, that that was, I think, uh, Barack Obama who said it's easier to get a gun than a library book or something along those lines, Toby. But hearing right. you say it, it's been so long since I've heard it, it makes it all the more ridiculous. And I think now knowing, because my husband, um, you know, he he has a gun and I know what went through it, especially living in a pretty liberal town, all the hoops you jump through. It, it just, the more time goes on, the more insane that statement truly was. Um, Toby Leary is on the line with us. And that means it's your chance to get on and ask him any of your questions. It's 844-500-4242. You can also text in to 617-213-1066. Start the text with the word curly. A lot of people start it with grace. No, you want to start it with C-U-R-L-E-Y. And 
I'll read your text on the air. Toby, I want to go back here for a second. And uh, you said, I thought you did a great job with your answer last week, but you think you dropped the ball when it comes to what's going on in Massachusetts. So tell people that apparently there's more for us to worry about that you weren't able to get to. So uh, you have the floor. I had that ADD moment where I interrupted myself and forgot the initial part of the question, which was, you've been hearing a lot in the news lately about Massachusetts. And so I brought everyone up to speed on that H4139, which was the 4420 bill. Um, And then also the 56 other bills that were introduced last year that are going to be set to be debated this year. Um, But I forgot to mention the the one bill that it wasn't a bill, it was actually a uh, district court judge, uh, Justice Saylor, S-A-Y-L-O-R, who ruled that the Massachusetts assault weapons ban is consistent with the relevant history of 1791 when the Second Amendment was ratified, saying basically that the AR-15 is not it is a dangerous and unusual weapon, and it has no, it's not suitable for ordinary self defense purposes, which is utterly mind boggling to me, and pose substantial dangers far beyond those inherent in the design of ordinary firearms, um, which I would just absolutely disagree with. But um, this is the biggest stretch of, uh, you know, 2023, if you ask me to basically say that the banning of the most popular rifle in America and that is in common and ordinary use that can be used defensively or offensively, that's part of the criteria for the Second Amendment, meaning like, you know, you can't just have it be one or the other, believe it or not, because they called upon the militia, being a well-regulated militia, uh, their call to muster was it had to be able to be used offensively as well as defensively. So the fact that this judge made this huge stretch and said that they are dangerous and unusual weapons and they're not uh, reasonably necessary for self-defense is unbelievable. Uh, he can't possibly conjure up every scenario that you might find yourself in in self-defense. And Grace, with the advent of like ring cameras and doorbell cameras nowadays and in today's day and age, you see some stuff, especially if you follow some of the Second Amendment related accounts on Twitter and X, um, you see people getting more creative on home invasions with multiple perpetrators with all kinds of I saw I saw one the other day, a guy posing as a UPS Mm -hmm. driver in full on UPS gear ringing the bell, and then as soon as the doors open, you see five people run in the house. I'm telling you one thing. Uh, the AR-15 has never been more relevant in our nation's history than it is today with the rise of violence in our inner cities and, and see the rise of violence in some of the most gun-controlled areas in our, our nation. And that is where they are most needed, and that's where they want to ban them the most. It's unbelievable. Um, but... So I forgot to mention that, how badly and how poorly of a decision Justice Saylor did this. And it was just trying to construe the Second Amendment and stretch it. And he, in the process of doing that, he literally shredded it because it meets zero definition of what a common and ordinary gun is in, in use today. So 
Um, that's one thing that we have to look forward to is an appeal of that decision. And I'm sure it won't go great in the First Circuit Court of Appeals. That'll be another one of those cases that we have to wait until it gets all the way to the Supreme Court. And that's the one thing we have in common with California, is to finish out that thought. The Ninth Circuit and the First Circuit are probably the two worst courts when it comes to Second Amendment gun rights. In fact, since the Heller decision in 2008, it's been 15 years, there hasn't been one Second Amendment case in the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals that they have said, nah, this goes too far. They have gone along with every single gun control case that has been before them uh, since 2008, the last 15 years. Unbelievable. They're basically saying that the government is batting a thousand when it comes to firearms regulation in the state of California. And they are the most regulated, I would say one of the most regulated. I don't know if they're more so than Illinois and Massachusetts, but they're right up there with us. Toby, I, I also want to I, I also want to ask you just a, a really quick question here. We're in 2024 now. Obviously, the election is on everyone's mind. It seems pretty clear Trump is going to be the nominee for um, the Republicans and Biden, I think, is going to be the nominee for Democrats. But that aside, there's going to be debates. There's going to be conversations. And the Second Amendment always comes into play during these election seasons. If you could ask a candidate running for president one question regarding the Second Amendment. What do you think is the most important question that all of these people have to answer? Well, that's a great question. Oh, man. Um, if I could only ask one question, I would say, uh, why do you think you can do things with the Second Amendment that you would never get away with with any other amendment? Very good question. In other words, yeah, like you don't require photographs, fingerprints, background checks, uh, fees to be paid in order to go to church, to vote, in order to, uh, I mean, they did once upon a time, there was a poll tax, you know, at one point that got struck down as unconstitutional. Um, but why do you think you have the authority to, to regulate the Second Amendment, what what gives you that right over regulating any other right? So, um, and why should it be treated any different? I think that's a great question. And if there are any debates, Toby, I will I will submit that. And definitely, I will cite you, though, because I like adequate citations. I'm not trying to <laughs> plagiarize anyone else's ideas. Uh, Toby Leary, tell people where they can visit you, where they can listen to you, and where they can find out more about your wonderful store, Cape Gunworks. Yeah, thanks, Grace. We're looking forward to a great new year here, 2024. Like you said, we have elections, we have civil unrest, we have all kinds of craziness going on in the world. But one thing we are going to continue to do, and that is to train and equip people with the most common and ordinary gun that they want to use for self-defense or for any other lawful reason. That's the thing about the Second Amendment is there's lots of uses for it, collecting, sporting, target shooting, fun, tradition. Um, and we don't care what your reason for wanting to own a gun is as long as it's for a lawful purpose. And we will help you do that. We'll outfit you. We'll equip you. We'll train you on the safe and efficient use of it here at Cape Gunworks. And you can shop online at capegunworks.com. You can also come down, take a class. 
shoot on our range and see our huge selection of firearms and accessories. Um, we also have uh, content on social media. You can go to X, you can go to YouTube, you can go to Instagram, and you'll find us at Cape Gunworks uh, wherever you consume your social media. And we put out, I would say, some great content that you'll want to like, subscribe, share, follow, and comment on in order to stay up to date. And then last but not least, you can always tune in to Rapid Fire Radio, which is today um, between 4 and 6. If, you, if you're listening to Howie and you want to hear it later, you can always get the replay. If you go over to our YouTube channel, you'll, you'll see it all there. We're also on Rumble, by the way, which we love. Uh, Rumble's great. And, um, but at Cape Gunworks, and you can catch, catch up with all of our Rapid Fire Radio uh, podcast. We have some great guests on there and some great subject matter. Today, I'm going to be talking about some wins and losses in 2023 for the 2A. Uh, so that's going to be an interesting show. So I'm I love a theme. Sh- I love a theme, Toby. And so it seems <laughs> like you have a nice theme going. I appreciate that. Toby Leary, thank you very much, sir. We always appreciate your time. We know you're a very busy guy and uh, you're so informative and you just have a lot of knowledge and I know people appreciate it. When we come back, we're going to talk to another wise, wise man, Taylor J. Cormier. And you're not going to want to go anywhere. We'll be right back with that. This is The Grace Curley Show. Meow. You're listening to The Grace Curley Show. This is The Grace Curley Show. Welcome back, everyone, to the Grace Curley Show. The car crossover is brought to you by Tux Trucks. Two big names in snow removal, GMC and Fisher. Get both at Tux Trucks, GMC Fisher in Hudson, Mass. Tux Trucks can build a GMC Fisher plow combination that will easily move more snow for you. So talk with a sales consultant at Tux Trucks, GMC Fisher. Call 1-800-MY-TRUCK. Joining us now is Taylor Cormier. Taylor, thank you. I just want to add one thing in here before we go to Taylor. This was a huge story today. We, we had so many things to talk about with Harvard and everything else, but um, at least 103, the numbers I've been seeing now are a lot more, people were killed Wednesday and 141 injured after twin blasts near the burial site of slain military commander Soleimani and what officials are calling a terror attack, according to state media. This is definitely going to be a big story uh, for the rest of the week, so we will get to it more tomorrow. Taylor will get to it probably in his show today. But uh, Taylor, thanks for coming on. And I wanted to know, what's on your mind? Like, what's the big story that you're going to run with for the next four hours? I am refreshing like a madman to see... Oh, I think I know what. ...the Epstein list. I've got the court docket pulled up, just waiting. There was one document that was released just confirming that two of these does had filed for... Extensions. Extensions, exactly. So I believe it's does 107 and 110, and they will be given until January 22nd, I believe, and uh, to prove their hardships or whatever they are. But the rest of the names will be begun to release today. That's what we're being told. Now, what is this list? 
it's reportedly a list of associates. They're kind of walking back what this list, up until today, it's been referred to as the client list, right? Right. Now the AP comes out and says, this isn't a client list, guys. It's just like people who hung around him, people that he knew. So I, I there's an evolution taking place exactly. Here. So and people like Jimmy Kimmel are saying, you know, I'm not on the list, or uh, you know, they're they're kind of hedging their their own. Alan bets. Dershowitz said the Alan list Dershowitz, is going to exonerate yep. me. I, I can't wait for the list. Yeah, it, it, which weirdly enough, he'll probably be on the list, right? He was associated with Jeffrey Epstein. I have to imagine that. And again, this isn't a story where I, I know all the... And by the way, the, I don't doubt Donald Trump won't be on that list. I, I imagine he will be. Well, this is what I was going to say. I, I think what this, from what I've been reading, what this list could show is not, you know, who took Epstein's plane. We know Trump took the plane. We know, I think it was Donald Trump Jr. when he was like 11 was on the plane at one point. Like the family used the plane a lot. I'm sure the Clintons used the plane a lot. I think what people are really trying to find out now is who took the plane to the island correct because there's not a lot of you can't really say oh because we've heard these 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 fancy people say well i took his plane but i met him in paris we had a meeting we had a cup of coffee we talked business we talked investments epstein island that's a harder one to kind of spin your way out of plus when it comes to bill clinton who's john doe 36, 36 he has explicitly denied ever going to the island. So that, I think, is where people are hoping they can catch some of the liars in this. Right, and he's on the flight logs dozens of times, I think, with Jeffrey Epstein. So who knows what uh, can be found out. I love the headline from the Babylon Bee that the Jeffrey Epstein client list hangs itself moments before its release. <laughs> I think that that I'm, is pretty good. I'm watching this docket closer than the guards watched Jeffrey Epstein, which isn't saying much, but I'm I'm making the rounds every five minutes or so. And you know what, Taylor? If it is going to come out today, it probably will be during your show. So that is definitely reason for people to keep listening. Mm-hmm. But beyond just that, you're going to hit so many topics. You're so entertaining informative and people will be blessed to tune in yeah so don't go anywhere taylor cormier is coming up next thank you all for tuning in if you missed any of our great interviews today check them out wherever you get your podcasts tomorrow is friday junior and we'll be right back at it then so don't go anywhere